0: a DIY manual for the construction of stories by Steve Almond, available from Zando. Go get your copy right now, wherever you buy books. Hey, you guys, today's episode is brought to you by the LitBreaker Ad Network. LitBreaker brings together the finest literary communities on the web, with breakout brands, publishers, magazines, and other advertisers, it's an ad network for book people, for publishers, for authors, and for literary content providers. The Litbreaker Breaker ad network serves 5 million ads per month to nearly 1 million unique readers for dozens of happy advertisers. Do you run an online magazine or blog? You should check it out. Are you a publisher? Are you an author? Do you need to get the word out about a book? Uh, Or do you need to get the word out about a product or service that would appeal to intelligent bookish people? Look no further. LitBreaker bridges the gap between advertisers and the literary and pop cultural websites where their target customers spend their time. Visit LitBreaker.com for more information. It's the very best way to reach book people online. It just is. That's LitBreaker.com. Go there. Tell them I sent you. It's an advertising network for book nerds. Go and advertise on it. Oh my God. You are not alone. You have found other people. You and I have a friend in common. Every stupid thing that a writer could do, I've done. I think
1: it's really beautiful. Jesus, stated what a struggle, you know? It was incredible. You know,
0: it's like your head exploded seeing what was really there. And now here's your host, Brad Listy just one person at just one time oh, right okay you guys here right. we go again this is it this is other people this is digitally rendered dialogue this is for people who smell their books before reading them thank you for listening how are you hope you're doing well my name is uh, Brad Listy and I'm here in Los Angeles it's nice to be with you my guest today is Willie Vlaton he's got a great new novel out from Harper Perennial it is called The Free which happens to be the official march selection of the TNB Book Club, the Nervous Breakdown Book Club. TheNervousBreakdown.com, for those of you who do not know, is my online culture magazine and literary community. It has its own book club. You should sign up for it. It's an amazing deal. For less than the cost of a book, you get a brand-new book delivered to your door every 30 days. And then, uh, on top of that, you can hear me in conversation with the author on this program. So if you would like to sign up, you can do that over at TheNervousBreakdown.com. Otherwise, uh, I'm going to be talking with Willie uh, in just a little bit. And uh, I should add that not only is he a terrific writer uh, of fiction, he's also an accomplished musician, if you can believe that. He plays the guitar and sings for a band called Richmond Fontaine. And it's a great band. Uh, It's right up my alley anyway. And uh, here's a track from them, a little bit of of a track from them, called Always on the Ride. Uh, which is from their album *Post to Wire*. So check this out.
1: Maybe you'll wake up on a floor somewhere, or in some sort of Isn't
0: that good? You can sing, man. I wish I could sing like that. God damn it! Here, I'm gonna sing some harmony here. With uh, apologies to, to Richmond Richard Fontaine barely, barely hanging on. I hope you're always on the ride. So uh, let me read some mail real quick, and then we can get going with the main event. Uh, this first letter comes from a listener named Emma. Who writes, Dear Brad, I appreciate other people and the insight it has given me into writers and literary sorts as people. You employ a good combination of writing related discussion and, well, everything else. I feel like you must make a real connection with the people who come on your show, and I wonder if you develop closer relationships with them afterwards. Have you made friends doing this podcast? Do you keep in touch? with any of your guests. I always come away from your show feeling like I could walk up to the guests on the street and have a real heart to heart with them. It's kind of creepy. Actually, it can feel like listening in on a private conversation, but that's why I'm comfortable emailing you though. I, uh, though emailing strangers isn't something I've made a habit of best Emma. So thank you, Emma. And, uh, you know what? Uh, I often feel like I'm friends with these people. the the folks that I talk to on this show. It's a weird intimacy, isn't it? You know, like, for example, uh, I just had Natalie Bazil on the podcast. uh, Such a nice person. And we really hit it off over the phone. It was easy to talk with her. And you know what? I just pick her out as an example. I could say this about any number of people. Um, But uh, this is a recent uh, conversation that I had. And at the end of the hour, uh, I felt like we were buddies. And I suppose, uh, or I would hope that to some degree we are, but you know, what does that mean? And do I really know? <laughs> maybe she, maybe she feels differently. Uh, I, I hope not, but I guess that could be possible. And you know, this is something, uh, this issue of a uh, friendship has been troubling me for a while, or it, if not troubling me, then it's been something that I've been fixated on mentally and, uh, trying to, uh, turn over in my mind. You know, not just in the context of this podcast, but uh, broadly speaking, what does friendship mean? What does it entail? Are most relationships uh, quote unquote real? Are they superficial? I mean, you know, it's like, it's one thing to be friendly and nice when you're talking to someone at a party or something. Small talk, you're having drinks, you meet somebody, whatever. But, you know, what about uh, when the shit hits the fan in your life or in their life? What happens to the friendship then? How does it weather that kind of pressure? You know, that would seem like one kind of uh, significant litmus test. And, you know, like there, there are different kinds of friendship, different levels to the experience. And you know, I like to think that I'm at least low-level friends with everyone I've had on this program. <laughs> some some more so than others, depending on, you know, the rapport. But, yeah, like have I have I become close friends with anyone that I've interviewed? Uh, no. <laughs> well, I don't know. Maybe I, there might be a couple of examples that defy that trend. And, you know, I sort of wish I could, I have that in me. I wish I could be friends with everybody or I sort of want to be friends with everybody, uh, which I think is a good impulse overall, but there's an element of, uh, insecurity or something in there too. Or just like, uh, like over, uh, excess idealism, you know, you can't be friends with everyone, but you know, most of the people that I talk with on this program, Uh, Are in uh, other parts of the country I don't see them So there's not really any chance for things To uh, move on to the next level It would be a a serious logistical undertaking To make that happen So uh, I guess that's where I'm at with it You know I like to think that my sense of friendship And camaraderie with the writers that I interview Is real And I definitely work hard uh, to make them feel welcome And to extend myself In that manner and I also work hard to make sure that in my role as uh, the host of this program, that I'm myself and that I'm giving you guys, uh, the listeners, the real me, and uh, I'm not performing. Insofar so far as, as you know, that is possible when you host a show or you make any kind of art at all. And, you know, I think at this stage of my life, I'm more deeply appreciative of uh, really close friends than I ever have been before. And I think that ultimately, you know, what I'm most interested in is having a small group of really close friends that I'm in touch with regularly. And I need to work on that. It's hard to make that happen, or at least it's hard for me. Not that I don't have friends. It's just that I'm not in touch as much as I would like. You know, the problem for me is that most of my really close, like lifelong friends They live in other parts of the country, which sucks. I wish they all lived in my neighborhood and my extended family lives like, you know, halfway across the country. So I don't get to see them very much either. Uh, It would be a lot easier if everybody was just in the same town and, you know, making friends in LA friends that you actually interact with on a regular basis is not an easy chore. And, you know, I think part of that is just a function of where I'm at, you know, in life. There's work, there's family, it's a big city, there's traffic. You have to make a, you have to make a plan. You have to orchestrate. It's difficult, you know? And then, uh, part of it is, uh, that it gets harder to make close friends as you get older. And I'm talking really close friends. Because, you know, I feel like childhood friends, college friends, there's a certain kind of shorthand with those relationships that is hard to replicate as the years go by. And that's not to say that it's impossible, but it does become more difficult, I think. So I hope that answers your question, Emma. I feel like I kind of went off on a tangent there (laughs) as I sometimes do. So bottom line, friendship is good. I want to make friends and be friendly. Okay. And uh, I got one more email, but I want to read real quick. This is from a listener named Eric, who writes, Dear Brad, the AWP Seattle show was hilarious. It was a new low for the program from a, from a produced radio narrative standpoint. Dudes in a hot tub passing you around like a skull bong. Next time, get a fixer. There were plenty of people there who could have helped set up the call. Thanks, Eric. Uh, okay. Thanks for writing, Eric. And you know, the AWP episode for me, like the whole point of that endeavor was spontaneity, improvisation being unplanned. I didn't want formality. I didn't want a fixer. I wanted uh raw audio, <laughs> I wanted auditory insight into what was actually happening on the ground. I didn't want to give the people that I was going to be talking with time to prepare. audio verite and i wanted i, I particularly wanted the uh, offsite stuff you know and that's what i got and you know what's interesting is that it's one of the most popular episodes in recent uh, weeks that's how it's tracking anyway and what i find this is a real thing what i find is that whenever i hear from people and they tell me that a certain episode was terrible or that uh, the interview was excruciating, or my guest was mentally disturbed, or you know whatever the case may be, these are the episodes that get the most listeners. My conversation with Sam Pink, that was huge. Uh, Megan Boyle, likewise. Tao Lin, etc. So apparently whenever the show hits a new low, people like it. <laughs> That's what they want to hear. They want to hear me bottom out. I don't know what to make of that. You know, I'm not consciously trying to hit new lows. Doing the best I can. And I'm just making it up as I go along. Okay? So thank you, Eric. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And uh, if you guys want to email me, the address, once again, is uh, letters at otherpeoplepod.com. Have I already said that? Is that the first time? Letters at otherpeoplepod.com. You can also, uh, if you wish, leave me a voicemail over at the show's official website, otherpeoplepod.com. Okay? Hey, everybody. If you are a writer or an aspiring writer, or if you just love literature, I have a book for you. It's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. It is the long-awaited craft book by Steve Almond based on three decades of his writing career It's also the funniest by a country mile. Once again, it's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories by Steve Almond, available from Zando. Go get your copy right now, wherever you buy books. My guest today is Willie Vlaughton. His new novel, The Free, is now available from Harper Perennial. It's a great pleasure to have him here on the program and to be featuring his book in the TNB Book Club. Here he is, ladies and gentlemen. This is Willie Vlaughton, and his new novel, once again, is called The Free.
1: I live in uh, Scappoose, Oregon, or outside a little town called Scappoose, and it's, uh, I mean, the best i could say it's it's kind of like twin peaks there's just huge trees everywhere it's right near a little, big logging area and um i'm just in my house
0: okay so are you is this like a suburban or like you way out on the sticks
1: i'm like five miles outside a little town so yeah i can't see any neighbors or anything like that and uh uh our place is right next to an insurance company owns like a thousand acres for logging land so it's, it's like living next to a you know for It's pretty pretty amazing
0: okay that sounds good so but you're not near like Portland or anything like how far away are you' from yeah, I'm an hour I'm an hour outside of Portland okay okay that's a good distance and it sounds like it sounds good for riding just to be it either
1: right. it, it, it can drive you nuts I mean I I, I actually rent a, a room a little room in, in this outskirt part of Portland called st John it's like the last kind of working class part of Portland because I was going nuts out here you know just being around in the woods all day long by yourself, uh, it gets to be kind of like The Shining, like, <laughs> you, you know. I, I can start going nuts, so I rent this little room and um, it looks out over a, a old, like degenerate drinking old man's bar, and so I'm I'm pretty happy there.
0: Okay, so when do you do that? You like go down there just when you when you start to go crazy, Crack. up. There? Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Usually, I usually I get up and I ride as hard as I can till about noon, and then I spend the rest of my day uh, down in this like. Um, a really amazing part of Portland and has on one street in two blocks it has like five degenerate bars, a donut shop, a record store, a really good taqueria and a old man clothing store that they just kind of forgot to close. And, um, so yeah, it's cool. It's a really, really fun part of area and they have a great bookstore there. I,
0: I want to say I talked to who wrote glaciers. I'm blanking on her name and I feel terrible about it, but it's like my, uh, premature senility. But I talked to an author on this show who I believe lives right in that neighborhood. Uh, oh, cool. God, I wish I knew. I just don't know. Hang on a second. I'm going to Google it because I'm going to feel like an asshole if I don't know this. Hang on. Glaciers. Uh, well, one second. Are you going to edit this? Uh, I hope not. <laughs> okay. I, I like to leave warts and all. It's, it's Alexis Smith. That's her name. She was lovely. Okay. I don't know her. Yeah. But I'll she, check it out. I want to say she lives right there in that neighborhood. I could be wrong. I'll have to re-listen to that episode, but Um, so I, I've talked to an author who, you know, is from that neck of the woods and has, you know, you know, you might've crossed paths with her without knowing it. And then, um, you're also from Reno. Is that correct? Like born and raised? Yeah. You know what?
1: Yeah. I lived there till, I think I was almost 27. I was, uh, you know, I loved Reno. It was great for me. It just didn't like me that much. You know, I, uh, I was, you know, I was from a pretty conservative family and I was in a and a bunch of bands that never went anywhere and i uh uh you know i was writing stories but no one i knew even wrote stories or read novels and um you know and finally i i i uh escaped reno i mean reno's if you're you know if you're a certain kind of person reno's the greatest town in the world i mean i uh i worked for a trucking company five hours a day swing shift and then i'd get off and just hit the bars the bars never closed in reno and uh it's a really fun, wild way to live. It just—it just eats up. It
0: eats up the years, and I finally had to run out of town. You got out of there, okay? So, what was like a childhood like for you? Like early childhood when you were a kid?
1: I mean, I lived with my mom and my brother,
0: um, and my mom just, put, you know,
1: she worked the same job for thirty years, and so it was nothing remarkable, you know. I mean, I hated being a kid. I was really shy. Uh, you know I almost couldn't go to school I was so shy but uh um you know I just you know you just kind of get up and you you force yourself to go um
0: So what and, and enough, then what, what were you like when you were actually there you are just a quiet kid in the back of the class Yeah I hated I mean I loved school
1: the aspect of the 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 workload and the the teachers I loved all that um I loved the sports you know I played high school sports I loved all that I just didn't I just didn't like uh, being around Talking in front of other kids, I didn't know. Uh, I, you know, I was just re—I was so shy. You know, like I said, I could barely walk down the halls, barely go to the store, stuff like that.
0: Really? Okay. It was bad. Did you have a fear of public speaking?
1: Yeah, I wouldn't take any class. Uh, I would—I would tell my teacher I'd drop out if uh, you know, wouldn't go to school anymore if they called on me.
0: But you, but- it worked
1: sometimes. You know, I'd have these like serious times and uh with them and i would you know and so, sometimes they would just say no they I, they had a call on you but they wouldn't do it very often um some teachers you know would just leave me alone completely it just depends you know you, i just played i was really good at it because i just i just figured out what what the teacher wanted and then i would really kiss up to them and and do extra credit or do whatever they wanted as long as they weren't calling me
0: that's interesting yeah i had a buddy like that one of my good buddies was that shy and like Somehow the teachers just knew. I guess it's kind of cruel to call on a kid who really doesn't want to talk. You know, like I
1: mean, I, I don't, don't know. You know, I don't know. I was like a, you know, I was just like a drowning that whole time. So I don't remember much of it. I just remember, you know, it, it just it was just too much for me at the time. And it wasn't really until, uh, you know, I I really loved music more than anything, and I I, I just wanted to be in a band because I, not so much because I was a musician, but just because I. I, I was such a fan. I didn't know how to take it to the next level without joining in, and I just wanted to be a, a part of it. And the problem with being in a band is uh, you got to be in front of people, right? And I and that was I, I loved music more than I hated that. But you know, I, that's kind of when I guess I was like sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, when I started playing out places once in a while. And um, then I just was dr- I was drunk playing in front of people till when I was maybe. I guess in my early 30s some guy drove like 8 hours to see my band and I was too drunk to really play very well and I I was so ashamed of myself um that I kind of quit drinking uh playing gigs.
0: Okay. Yeah, I mean it's I, I'm I want to get to music because it's rare that I talk to somebody on this uh show who's good at writing and also is good at playing music. It's kind of an embarrassment of riches. <laughs> um but no, hell I'm interested in I'm interested in uh the the shyness. I want to ask you a little bit more about that because it fascinates me. Like when you say that like school was too much for you, like with the benefit of hindsight, can you look back uh, and figure out why? It was it just how you were wired or it was like what was what was too much? You know, like what were you why were you shy? Is that, is that a stupid question? I don't know,
1: man. I mean, uh I mean my 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 mom and my grandmother were the same way. My aunt kind of the same way. I mean, it's just I think mean, some of it's genetic. You know, uh I, you know, I, I, my home life wasn't the great, greatest, I think, and I, that probably played some
0: into it, and, uh, um. Yeah, you mentioned your, I, was your dad around?
1: Yeah, man, he, he just got a, he, he upgraded families, and uh, I think he did upgrade, so I'm, I'm proud of him for that, uh, but, uh, no, you know, it's just, uh, I was just really shy, always was, you know, and, um. And um so yeah, it was just pain, painful. It was hard to get through uh, school. Yeah. I mean the good news is I played uh high school sports, you know, and uh and so I knew a lot of the same guys from when I was six, seven years old playing sports, so I never had to make new friends. And um so I had the same friends I was through, so that helped. Stuff like that helps. Uh it got me through it. Um and then, you know, actually being in a in a band saved my life because it it forced me to, you know. You know, be, you know, meet people and stuff. I, you know, I, I didn't know how to meet somebody until I was maybe twenty. You know, I just I didn't know how to shake somebody's hand and that sort of stuff. I just just couldn't do it.
0: Interesting, yeah. Like I felt like like socially, like especially when it came to meeting girls. And I guess this is probably somewhat normal, but I couldn't I couldn't approach women that I thought were attractive when I was a young person unless I I was drunk. <laughs> you know, I guess yeah, that's well, how I'm that's how most people are.
1: Yeah, you know, uh, being drunk helps. Uh, obviously, it, it's you know the older you get, it's like playing with a you know a poisonous snake or something. But uh, I mean, it does help if, if you have bad nerves. That's for sure.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess that's like the whole ritual—is like you know young people do that? But it seems like uh, it seems a little silly. Like I wish that I would have had more poise, you know. But uh, Christ, so, you—what's
1: that? I said both uh, you and me, both man. <laughs>
0: So okay, so when when did you start? Uh, when did you actually f- first play with a band? Was this in high school still?
1: Yeah, you know, I I I was maybe thirteen, I think. My brother, uh, um, he was just getting ready to leave, and he 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 knew I was having a hard time, and I was really this guy, and you know, I always had a big edge on me, and uh, and he 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 and I both loved music, and he played guitar, and he he said you should just write songs about whatever you're feeling. And uh I did pretty much whatever he said, really back then and uh so uh I got a guitar and uh and just wrote song after song after song after song um you know I was obsessed with with writing songs and um and then you know i just for fun, I started writing stories when I was maybe eighteen um but uh it was the songs that got me started first uh, I didn't have the confidence and myself to to think i could write a novel or short stories or anything like that.
0: So were the songs narrative? I mean i guess all, you know, they all are, but i mean like this well, song- you know back then i
1: was writing i was writing about it, shit i had no idea about. It. I, I was writing like really dark, <laughs> really dramatic, really dark songs and i had no no idea why. And then but i was also in love with bands like the jam and the Cl- the clash to a degree, but X was my band, this band called X uh and I was just trying to rip off them for years. And uh, but really, you know, in the Pogues, stuff like that, I I, I worshipped them. But but really, I just wrote really depressing, overly dramatic folk songs that, and I had no idea they were so dark.
0: Well, give me, give me a, Do you know. have like do you have like a name of one of them?
1: <laughs> no, I mean I was writing about like you know hookers and stuff when I was fourteen. <laughs> Even though I did go to a hooker when I was fourteen, you did, but. uh yeah, yeah, you know, in Reno, one of the things that happens is, uh, you know, your friends, whoever's got a car or whatever, would pick you up on a Friday night to go out or do something, and it was just small-town shit, you know, everybody crams into, like, a, a truck, uh, and you just drive around and try to panhandle, get beer, and go out, and, you know, you go to the mountains and have a bonfire or just drive around, but once in a while, you would, uh you know, they'd pick you up, and and they would just pick a couple guys and then take them to the whorehouses.
0: So is this how yeah, you, I, did was, you, did it, you lose your virginity this way to a, to a hooker?
1: No, man, I'd slept with some other girl first, thank God. But, uh, you know, I didn't want to go. And, uh, but if you didn't go, uh, you know, they, they'd give you a really hard time. And I mean, it's a small town, if you didn't go, they think you were gay <laughs> and then they would, you know, either beat you up or just give you a hard time to the, to, till, till they didn't know you anymore um and so you just kind of had to go and so you know i i you know i was 14 and uh that seems young i you look know, i looked i looked, I looked, I, looked like I looked like i was 12 but you know <laughs> it, they didn't seem to care and i just i picked the youngest looking gal there and um uh and that and then I, that was it you know and i you know i was you know she was nice enough i guess and all that but uh you know, I I was bombed out, man. I had a hard time getting up the next day after that. Uh, uh, yeah. So I would write about stuff like that, you know, and, and and just I'd write about alcoholics and bombs and stuff. Even at that age, and you know, I have no idea why. I was just, I mean, I always kind of, I think I always kind of felt I'd end up like that, so I just started writing about it.
0: Well, I mean, and like Reno, that's it's you know, there's a rough edge to Reno. There's a lot of that around. I mean, were you seeing it when you were growing well, my up? My mom.
1: Yeah, well, my mom, where she worked, her boss was, uh, um, he always tried to rehabilitate people. And so he would take guys off the river and rehabilitate them. So I got to, you know, I got to know a lot of guys that were living by the river and then guys that kind of healed up and got, were fine for a couple years and then fell back on hard times. And so my mom, and my mom was always really worried about money, so she was always... Like will you? You know, you're only about two or three bad moves away from ending up like those guys. So you always got to bust your ass and never count on anything coming through for you. Um, and so yeah, so she she was pretty pretty crazily obsessed with with being broke. And so uh, um, so yeah, I mean, I I definitely knew that edge uh, that those people were around. And then you know, like like most jackass high school guys, I. I uh, I fell in love with the replacements, you know, the king of the losers. Uh, <laughs> me, my cousin would just get drunk and try to get into old man bars and you know, there's a great romance to to sit next to a guy who's say fifty, who's spent his whole life in a bar and you know, it feels like a the great escape, like he's flipping off everybody. It's only it's only when you when you get near his age and you're like holy shit, this guy's wasted his whole life sitting in a bar. <laughs> right. But when you're, when you're 17, 18, and he's got weird, you know, prison tattoos or handmade tattoos, and he's, you know, da- done some crazy stuff, uh, you know, you think it's cool. And I definitely thought it was, you know, it's, I'm ashamed to admit it, but I, I thought all that stuff was great.
0: No, I, you know, I, I I totally understand that. There's something about being that age. Uh, And then having somebody who's significantly older, like validating somehow your experience or, or, I don't know. I remember feeling that way. There were like certain dads or something who were like more permissive and, uh, you know, would engage with us at that, like at that level. Like my parents were like conservative Southern folk who, you know, like they, the stuff that I was doing when I was 18 years old, they wanted, they would, you know, would have nothing to do with, but there were certain dads when I was in college where you would hang out with them and you know, they were totally down with it. And I remember, I remember loving that. (laughs) And then later on, later on kind of shifting gears and, and, you know, starting to see it, you know, through maybe a clearer lens.
1: Yeah. I mean, when I was a kid, it was an escapism. I, I, you know, I thought I would be, I really did think I'd end up being that bomb. And so I I figured I might as well see what it's like. And I mean, really you're just hanging out in bars and hanging out with weird guys that tell pretty funny stories and uh you know yeah and then you w- then you wake up and you're turning into one of those guys and you're like holy hell I don't want to be like this and then i've spent you know the last 15 years trying to run in from from those kind of people
0: and then like in uh like da- in Reno you kept mentioning that they were like down by the river that sounds sort of like uh i'm recalling like the Saturday night Live skit with chris farley <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but you know like uh, like is that really how it is like the- there's a lot of homeless who hang out down by the river or is that what
1: well, yeah, yeah. There's a river that runs through through uh, uh, through Reno, and, and and where this guy, my mom's boss, would pick up guys a lot of times it was it was down it was down at this certain area. But you know, I mean, one thing, and, and my first book, The Motel Life, kind of hits on it. Is is there's a ton of people living um, week to week in motels there, and in Reno, that you know, because it was such a tourist town, casino town um, before the you know invention or the start of the casino hotel, the kind of corporate casino hotel, it was all mom and pop motels. And so, you know, I counted them once. There was, you know, there's over like a, there was, they're tearing, starting to tear them down a little now, but there's mm-hmm. over a hundred and like, I think it was 115 motels in a mile radius of downtown Reno. And, uh, and um, you know, all of them had fallen on hard times once the the casino Hotel started, and so they all became, or most of them became uh, residential, weekly motels, and so a lot of guys end up in Reno, and they end up, you know, in, uh, living week to week in, in those motels, and I mean, it's pretty, pretty rough existence, although, you know, you do get free hot water, the electricity always works, and you usually get cable, which I always thought was the plus side of that way of living, but in general, it's a pretty rough way to live, and, and there is a segment of Reno that, you know, you just can't help but see see, you know, just you know, literally thousands of men that, you know, live that kind of life.
0: What do they do? Are they gambling?
1: I don't know. I think some of them are, you know, I don't really know. I think some have jobs, some are gambling, some are alcoholics, some are all of the above. I'd I, I, I assume there's some guys on disability, mental disabilities. Um, you know, there's retiree guys. I met retired guys that, you know, they move to Reno because cause it's less lonely, you know, the casinos. They might like to. Bet on the horses or whatever and then they get in over their head and uh and there's just you know there's families living in them and i mean it's all kinds of people in some really rough situations obviously
0: sure so let's get back to your. i want to get back to your uh you know your timeline and this transition from being uh you know kind of a shy high school student to suddenly you know i guess being up in front of people playing music like when did that happen what was your first performance where you were actually standing on stage and and you sing as well so like it's not only you know it'd be one thing if you were like the drummer or the bass player and kind of you know off to the side and in the in the shadows but you were you know were you always right there up in front singing your stuff
1: yeah you know i was i liked writing songs you know and so uh and um no one ever you know in any band i was ever in no one ever really wanted to sing (laughs) and we were all like kind of There was a band in my town called the Boston Wranglers, and they were kind of like a cow punk band. And uh, everybody, you know, all the guys I hung out with, uh, we all loved that kind of band. And so, uh, and I wrote those kind of songs, so I ended up singing them. I mean, it was just, I was just drunk or mortified, you know. Uh, It would be like uh, just pick the most embarrass you know embarrassing thing you know'd be like walking in a crowded grocery store and just pissing down your leg and, and then yelling <laughs> to everybody to watch you do it uh it's just it, re, it was really embarrassing I don't know why I did it uh you know I cleared places I cleared frat parties and um I had a guy in, in a bar in Reno come up to me I was playing folk some kind of folk place and it was a bar but they had like you know acoustic music once a week and the guy you know an old drunk dude came up to me and like trying to take the guitar off me, tell me you know that he could play better than me and uh, all that kind of stuff. So yeah, man, I've been just you know any any embarrassing thing, not any because Jesus, I don't want any more embarrassing things to happen. But a lot of embarrassing things happen, and you it, you know you just can't get out of bed the next day. And then and then you're like, well, I either quit or I keep going. And I, I like I said, I always loved being a part of it. I like being around musicians and um, and people that love music, open-minded people. And back then, you know, I didn't know know any writers. I, you know, before the internet, yeah, I mean, it was impossible uh, to to really know what writers were thinking. Um, once in a while, there'd be writers that come through Reno, but I, it's a, it was an isolated thing. Uh, and, and you know, every few months, if you even found out about it. So uh, for me, just to be around people that that, that were open-minded and like and liked music and movies and and in, in, in books uh being in a band was was the only way i knew how to to meet those
0: kind of people so okay so what about your musicality where does it come from like is your either of your parents musical
1: you know my dad uh he played guitar my dad did like he liked music a lot and uh, my mom didn't i mean my mom you know like neil diamond and we had a willie nelson record which was the big favorite in our family willie nelson was um but in general, uh, my mom, by the time my mom, I was 12 or so, she, her boyfriend, um, they kind of moved in with us and it, it was with her the rest of her life. Um, he liked country, so we listened to a lot of country in, in my house. Uh, but, you know, I like I like punk rock. I was just too sad to be a punk rocker. I wasn't really, I was never really <laughs> rebellious, you know. I mean, it was hard, it's hard to rebel against a woman that buss her ass for 30 years in a job and trying to you know sure you make sh- go to school and and it tries to help you out uh, so i was never i was never really mad at anybody that way um you know so uh but i did like i like punk rock and i like you know i love like x and the blasters and los lobos that la scene um i was a huge fan of that kind of stuff and and that really you know kind of Pays the way for the way I write songs, and like I said, there's a local band called the Boston Wranglers that were like the big time band in Reno, and I loved them, and they were really nice guys, and they played like the Birds, a little more rock and roll, kind of a little edgier than the Birds, stuff like that. It was, and I, I bought into it, and I loved it, and I love the 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 story aspect of of folk music and country music i love that you can just tell stories to it
0: yeah and then like in terms of your uh your vocals like you mentioned that you were clearing frat houses and and what have you and like you know i'm always curious about this like i I think obviously some of it's just innate you have to have the ability to sing but some people can kind of will themselves into um, being a vocalist for their particular music and I i tend to gravitate towards musicians like that i think like I, I like there's somebody who said this once when I was reading like, I don't know, it's like some sort of interview with a musician, but, uh, they made the comment that like their favorite singers can't sing, which resonated with me. Like if somebody's like a really, really good singer, it almost turns me off. <laughs> uh, like, I don't know. I don't know if that makes any sense. It, I like when I f- I can hear somebody kind of straining to make their own voice or something like, do you, ha- have you had to struggle to kind of get to that point? Have you gotten better? Yeah. I in- mean, I,
1: yeah, I think I you you have to find your own voice. I mean, I'm 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 the same way. You know, if a guy if a guy writes his own songs and he's got a rough voice or gal that just kind of is off a little bit, I really like that because cause you buy into it more. I mean, it feels uh, somehow more real. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah, me, yeah. You just kind of find what you can do. It, 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 it's like that. as a person. You can find what you can do. What you can't do. Uh, what, what you're good at, um, what you'll always bomb at, you know. I mean, you just kind of, you know, try. And then, I mean, just, I just started a band. I wrote a record for a woman um, where I, and put a band around her so I, I could write songs, but I wouldn't have to sing. It's, it's been my life's dream. I kept, I've always wanted to, to be in a band where I could hide in the back, you um, know, and so I finally am.
0: What's that band?
1: called the lines it doesn't come out yet we're just we start it comes out in june in june and, and 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 we start touring after that and and, um,
0: who's the who's the female lead
1: she's her name's amy boone she was in a band called the Damnations nations out of austin texas for years she's really really cool and really great singer and really beautiful voice but kind of ragged and tough and she she's one of my favorite singers so i've always wanted to uh do a project with her so 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 and, and like i said my big goal in life is to is to hide in the back and so I, I finally am gonna live that dream
0: <laughs> you've achieved your dream <laughs> um yeah. but what about like okay so the, this shyness married with being the lead singer in a band like that had to break down some of those walls and it's also like you know known for being a great way to meet girls like when you can sing and you can play music uh that's an aphrodisiac. Women like that. Like, did you experience that? Is, is it good as is it as good as I imagine it would be?
1: I mean, uh, I mean, first, I mean, the 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 being in a band did did save my life, really. I mean, I've always I've I've always really been grateful for for you know. I think the only way to get over being that shy is is to just face it every day, and and kind of just. Uh, Get over it day by day, and it takes years and years. But I think, in my experience, that's the only way to get over that stuff is, is to force yourself into the situations that make you nervous. Um, but me, man, I always, uh, I never cared about meeting girls through music. I just, uh, I, I was one of those, that's why I write such songs that girls don't usually like. Like, if you go to like Richard Montaigne's show, it's like 75% guys. Uh, uh, sadly, I never thought about the aspect of getting girls with music. I was just so interested in, in writing s- stories, like you know, like the 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 darker side of Tom Waits or Springsteen. Like the those kind of songs were the ones I always really liked, and usually those are the songs that the girls don't like.
0: Um, what do gr- girls like I, to da- The girls like to dance. I mean, I feel like women with music. I mean, not all women, but a lot of women they want to dance. I ha- I yeah, they it.
1: don't. Really want to r- hear a song, or uh, you know, about a, a, a you know a depressed
0: you know fifty year old guy that <laughs> kills his neighbor or something. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, but you never, and that's interesting that you say you never like we ever played music with the idea that it would help you meet girls because I feel like that's uh, unusual, that's rare. Most guys, I think, who get into it, that's at least part of the calculation.
1: Yeah, you know, I just, I just, you know, the, the bands I liked were, you know, really geared more you know i was really into uh like working class issues and working class songs i always was and um and so yeah i know i just never put the two together i mean you do meet you meet a ton of people you meet great musicians you meet really cool women all that stuff is true i mean i don't think it matters uh uh what kind of music you play do you just because you just end up meeting a lot of people um um, but yeah, my focus was never. I I, I, mean, I never wrote a song to get it through. And when you that say
0: and when you say music saved your life, like were you ever suicidal as like a teenager or anything like that, or was it just like it saved your life more abstractly, like from from being so shy? Well, I
1: mean, it, you know, it, it made me uh, be able to go to a uh, you know, and made me be able to have a conversation with you. It made me. You know, not just work in warehouses, warehouses. Uh, it, it made me more outgoing. It made me able to eat in the restaurant by myself. All those things. Sure, man, I've been as dark as anybody gets. Uh, uh, but, uh, you know, I mean, I don't know if music saved my life or I just have uh a, a, a instinct to not quit or whatever it is. But, yeah, sure, I've been dark. But music music always gets you out of bad spots if if you let it help you. Sure.
0: So... What about literature? I mean, you were you're, you're a reader from a young age?
1: Yeah, yeah. My mom was a big reader. but, but I just read, uh, you know, I mean, in school I read Steinbeck, and Steinbeck's always been a big hero of mine. I mean, even since I was, I think I read, you know, a Mice and Men or something when I was 13. I mean, I've been a fan of his most of my life. I have a picture of him by my bed, um, um, and I always have. And um, so he's, he's a hero, but I, I looked at him as, with the Pope or something i i uh, I looked at him um like a saint in a way and so I never imagined I could write stories uh, uh, so uh, you know i i never I never attempted it really and, and at home I just read like Ian Fleming, um John D McDonald I used to have a shrine there John D Mcdonald I had all the the Travis McGee novels at one time and um and it wasn't until you know I think I was nineteen i i I, I, I really wanted to you know have a a good relationship with my dad and i didn't know how to do it and uh i wanted a real dad around and um i didn't know how to get one and um finally one day i was doing something and i just started at the library i think i was and i just started writing a story about this father son who owned a wrecking yard my fantasies are are really mundane and kind of pragmatic but uh uh, it was just a story about a father's and son and all they do is drink beer and, and barbecue and then they steal cars once in a while and then they fix up cars and then they destroy cars and, and they all—they just live in a, each in a separate trailer on this wrecking yard and, uh, and that was my idea of heaven and I was like, Jesus, this is the best you know, this is the best way to escape and it's cheap and it's like when you see a really good movie and, and, and the girl in it kills you and, and for maybe two or three days that girl's real to you you can live your whole life talking to that girl, and in, in, in your mind while you're working your job or whatever, and it just feels very romantic and real. And then the fourth day comes, and, and you wake up, and you're like, "Damn, I don't feel it anymore." And so you keep trying to track down another movie to make you feel something like that. Right. And uh, writing, you know, it was a way to just live inside inside those kind of that kind of emotion for for years, if you wanted. And um, and then about the same time. I, I i was a huge fan of this songwriter named Paul Kelly, and um he he was a big fan of Raymond Carver and um he wrote a song based on a Raymond Carver short story and uh and on the record it said, you know inspired by you know uh so much water so close to home by Raymond Carver so I went down and found a book of his and 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 then that changed everything because carver he was writing stories that I knew I knew it was like my uncle. You know, saying weird things to me uh, at, a, at a Christmas party. Um, I mean, they were there were stories about failed men that were screwing up their lives and had alcohol problems and money problems and 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 were just just, just desperately just trying to hang on. That's what I got out of Carver at that time. And and then I, I I was like, oh my god, you can write stories like that. I didn't know you could write stories like that. And then um and then I and then I just was obsessed with with writing stories. Um, you know, I wrote story after story and novels and just kept going just uh, because it opened up that whole way of thinking. And and I discovered writers like William Kennedy and, you know, Larry Brown and these really great kind of working class writers that, uh, that really meant a lot to me.
0: Sure. And you mentioned the story that you wrote uh, at the library. That was like one of your earliest attempts, the one about the wrecking yard and you said it was an attempt to kind of figure out how to have like a better relationship with your dad. Like, Did, did it help? Did you ever wind up getting a better relationship with him?
1: Oh, no, man. I I wasn't trying to figure out how to have a better relationship with him. I was just inventing a guy that actually wanted to hang out with me. So, oh. uh, so uh, no, man, I wasn't doing it as like some kind of therapy to help with him. I, I was past that stage with him. I just was wanting... I didn't, you know, you can't go down to Home Depot and buy a new dad, you know. So <laughs> I, uh, so I, I, I didn't know what to do about it. So my dad's a cool guy. He just wasn't much of a of a dad at at, at, uh, at that point. And so, uh, you know, I I just wrote a fan. It was strict, straight up fantasy. I just invented the, you know, a dad that wanted to hang out with me and gave me really horrible advice and then we'd go steal things together I mean, was, you know it's an 18 year old dream you know right at least
0: for me right 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 so um i like i'm imagining if you like you took to raymond carver because i had a, a you know i i related to carver as well and i think a lot of people like i think maybe it's the it's the minimalist style it kind of tricks you into thinking it'd be easy to do uh you know it, it like i can write like that like this is these are pretty simple sentence constructions and like you know uh that's obviously not the case but uh, did you go through a period where you were trying to imitate him and did you have like a bad carver imitation period like i did
1: you know not really i i mean i'm sure i did i never thought of it that way you know i i didn't i never i never looked at it like that what i did is i i i, I did the heart of his stories like the like that kind of self-defeating anger low-level anger that a lot of his characters had and um, that desperation, I really related to. And so I probably wrote a bunch of stories ripping off that or, or riffing off, uh, off his stories. And you're right, the minimalistic uh, approach of his always, uh, it, it just made me less intimidated. And um, and um, so maybe I was copying it. I never really thought about it like that. I was just so excited um, to, to find a, a guy that was telling stories um uh, that i understood um and made sense to me uh that i didn't the 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 way he wrote sentences and stuff i didn't even care about i just wanted the story and i think as i got more and more into it um you know i started you know working on 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 senses and 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 be more of a sentence guy but at first it was purely out of comfort um and again it was like being a fan when I was music, I just was such a fan of of novels at that point um because of Carver uh, I discovered you know like barry hanna and and um flannery O'Connor and all these really amazing writers and then I just was like, "Jesus, I just want to be a part of it i want my I want to write a book if it 's in a library next to all the other books you know and I got obsessed with that uh, and um but yeah i'm sure, I'm sure. I wrote. I ripped off everybody. I don't really... But I didn't even think about it. Well, Another guy... I really liked was, was, uh, at that. Time. Go ahead. Oh. No, no. I was just thinking Roddy Doyle. I always loved Roddy Doyle, too, what that is. Uh, the, the great Irish writer. He, he always made me feel really good.
0: So, okay. So, but and when you talk about, like, not... Um, like, you were just kind of writing your own stuff. And, and you obviously uh, were reading a ton as well. But you mentioned earlier with your songwriting how you just kind of started in, you know, writing your own songs, which... I guess maybe or musicians in their early days at least make some attempts to do, but I feel like a lot of times it's like you're doing cover songs heavily first before you ever attempt to write an original, but it sounds like maybe you didn't take that track exactly
1: no i mean i'm a I'm a sad to say that's another fault of mine is you know growing up in Reno, everybody all the musician kids I knew their their dad a lot of their their dads were casino musicians, and so we'd go hang out with them and the casino musicians that played covers. You know, this is at the tail end of lounge bands when, you know, when a, when a casino musician could make 60 grand a year, um, uh, they had to play other people's songs six nights a week. And so it was a real, you could feel an edge on all those guys. They were really bummed out. They never got to do their own stuff. So as a kid, every band I was in, we wouldn't do covers at all because we, uh, we didn't want to end up like those guys. Interesting. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but but you know i paid the price for that because um, uh, I I don't you know I don't um, know as many songs as most musicians that have been around uh, as long as me and uh, story wise you know I never I I wasn't at school I mean later on I took a few night classes in, in uh, at the university in Reno but I I, I was just writing uh, by myself you know so I didn't know I didn't know any other way to do it except. Uh, you know, just do it, and yeah. and, and then you would read it, and you'd be ashamed of it, and you'd read it, and then read a story by, you know, Larry Brown or whatever, and you go, God, I suck, and then you you go, Do I quit or? And you're like, But I, I want to learn how to write a story as good as he that he, he does, and and so you can try it again and again and again, and, and in years pass, and you know, you get addicted to it, and it's fun, and and um, and again, you can, it's it, it is a, a great way to. You know, create a, a reality that you want, or or that you're struggling with.
0: So, and, and all these years, like post high school, you were just working like odd jobs, uh, playing music. Uh, like, how were you supporting yourself?
1: I did go to college in um, both UNR and in, Re- in Reno and uh, Eugene, Oregon. Um, uh, and um, besides that, working, I you know, I was I just worked in warehouses. I was too shy to. Never work I could never work in a restaurant because you had to talk to people so I just i work for warehouses trucking companies most you know i I worked for a trucking company for years and um wait did you graduate you know, did you
0: graduate college yes you did okay so you got out and then you started working these jobs
1: yeah I worked you know I worked pretty much from when I was 16 on you know you know but I you know I worked uh, yeah, mostly, I mean, my main jobs have been house painter and then I work for a trucking companies just loading trucks uh you know uh, and it, just jobs that you didn't really have to talk to anybody
0: so like, you were like a mover because 'cause I've always like i no you like tr- do you know I worked for this company t t betsway
1: for a while uh you just like a trucking line and, and and you just load up the trucks and then the drivers the long haul drivers. Uh, drive them wherever they 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 were supposed to go. So you just load you load trucks all day, and then at night the the truck drivers would come and then you take the trucks down to L A. or where San Francisco, wherever they were going, and and that's all you did. You, you unloaded trucks and loaded trucks with forklift. and you know, I mean, it's really just boring. Kind oh, of okay, so you want,
0: but it wasn't like it wasn't like you were lifting. There, I'm always thinking about these guys who are like lifting heavy furniture and moving shit all day, and like. How to do? How doing? Yeah. Like doing that day after day, it's got to be brutal on your body. Like I, I don't know. Like, I have a bad back, so I can never like figure how people do that.
1: <laughs> well, when you're in your twenty, you know, I was like from twenty to thirty or something doing that kind of stuff. I mean, it's not right. that hard, right? Right. right. Know, like, and no one works that hard.
0: <laughs> so okay. So and then how did the music and the uh, appra- I mean, I assume these were your apprenticeship years as a writer of fiction like you were just doing that whenever you could or did you take did you be able to take time off and go on little like you know were were you riding around in a van on tour and stuff like that
1: you know we did tour i mean writing wise i did uh you know i i wrote a lot of novels in from say 20 you know say 20 to 27 i wrote like three maybe three novels and Uh, you know, three feet high stack of bad stories. And I I would quit, you know, I'd quit jobs. Uh, I'd save money for a year or so and then quit a job and try to uh, write a first draft of a novel. I did that. And then about 27 to 30, I just, I was playing in my band a lot. And I I was, uh, drinking was finally kind of catching up to me. And I kind of quit writing. And then around 30, I, uh, you know, I, I, I bought a house, you know, and um, I was really proud of myself, and I was so proud of my, myself uh, that I kind of reeled it back in, and then um, and I started writing novels again, and then I wrote, I think, two, maybe two novels and more stories, and then I finally wrote The Motel Life um, when I was, you know, I think I finished the first, you know, big I mean, I, I had that one pretty good by the time I was 35, which ended up being my first novel I got published.
0: So, and, and how many novels did they... The Motel Life was the first one that, you know, uh, was put into print, but, like, how many novels had you written before you wrote that one? That was, like, your fifth novel?
1: It was, like, you know, I, I would say, yeah, it was. I think it was... You can't, I wrote, like, a Harlequin romance. I was really hard up for a, a gal uh, for a couple years, and, uh, um, and I didn't know what to do about it, <laughs> so I just invented, like, the world's coolest gal, and uh, it was a blast but it was the worst thing i i'd ever written but uh
0: wait did but it like it was, that was that it was published
1: no shit i at that point until i was from 20 to maybe 35 i didn't you know i showed a couple teachers what i was doing uh, when i took my class, but i didn't show anybody my novels really i just kind of i was so scared that people would say they were bad that I didn't. Uh, that I didn't um, show them to anybody.
0: Oh, but you said the Harlequin Harlequin romance. That was. Uh, it was like
1: a Harlequin romance, man. Okay. I, I didn't try to publish it. It was just. I just wrote it. It was like it was a romance novel. Uh, I didn't, you know, I just wrote a, a novel where there was a girl that uh, liked everything I said, and uh, we just went around and we had tons of money. We had a speedboat, <laughs> and uh, you know, we just and everything went our way, and we'd get into mild criminal problems and we you know have to get out of town but uh it was it was you know it's like a fantasy romance Although it was really fun to write but uh, you know that's the only thing I've ever written that I, I i destroyed and never you know never even told anybody about it till years later
0: so wait did you destroy you burned it or did you just
1: erase it I you? did I, in the, you know I used to put everything in the freezer because I was told that the freezer is the only place. If your house burns down, the the freezer usually, the fridge and the freezer usually make it through. So I I used to keep my crappy novels in in the freezer, and so yeah, I do that. I had some floppy disks that I, you know, destroyed, uh, (laughs) and the hard copies I burned. Yeah, sure.
0: (laughs) So, like, are you talking like plastic freezer bags, or just like pages in the freezer?
1: Yeah, I put it in a in a bag, and uh, and then uh, yeah, I just put like three
0: hundred page you know book
1: that 300 page romance novel in the, in the freezer
0: <laughs> uh, I think you're the first writer I've talked to on this show who's put his uh, his work in the freezer I'm not sure if anyone else has ever done that
1: yeah I don't know why i you know I've worried so much about these but when you're doing them you're so in love with them you know Like yeah. every book I'm I'm doing I'm so in love with it that I you know I carried this, a CD of it around or now a zip drive I always have one in my pocket just in case everything gets blown up I, I won't lose my best pal you know, I used to have that safety deposit box and a, have a fireproof safe. You know,
0: you got one of those? These,
1: sure. Yeah. I mean, for all of these books, it, you know, it doesn't matter. But it matters to me. You know.
0: Right. Right. So, I've thought about getting one of those. So I was like, you know, but I feel like it's all like, everything's in the cloud now, and you're on your computer. Yeah, sure,
1: sure. Yeah, you don't have to do that
0: stuff as much anymore. Um, that's
1: true. I mean, one time I got robbed. I got robbed. Uh, I was gone for three hours my girlfriend had gone to work and then I got off work and so the house was there for three hours and our whole place was gutted and during the day and um
0: what do you mean school, it was gutted? You, by I mean it
1: gutted I mean they took everything. Not every everything but they took everything of any value uh in in the house and uh and so I lost like a computer with a bunch of you know with a with a novel on it, you know, and, and uh and the computer was so old they didn't save at the right speed. So I had to hire this guy this guy for like a grand to mimic my computer. He had to build a computer that was as messed up as mine to <laughs> get, you know, at least half my story back. Uh, so, you know, I kind of learned my lesson there too.
0: Oh, okay. And you mentioned uh, the, the, you know, the period at the end of your twenties, you know, going into your thirties where you kind of said you lost the, the thread and you stopped writing or you were drinking a lot and then you quit drinking and then got back to writing. Like, when you say you quit drinking, does that mean like you got sober, or does that mean you just like slowed it down?
1: No, man. I, I'm I'm one of those fools that I, I just pull it back.
0: Uh,
1: um, what happened is I, you know, I was a house painter. By then, I I, I was a house painter, and um, and so I was just painting all day and then playing gigs at night, and um, and then you know I, I don't think I'd ever woken up on a, a weekend until I was in my mid 30s that I I wasn't drunk the whole weekend. So I was just you know good work alcoholic really and um and i and it finally caught up to me i think when I was about thirty, and then like I said, I bought this little house and um and um and i it was like the first good thing I'd ever done for myself and i felt i was re- i mean it was a five hundred square foot uh you know abandoned you know like grandma house
0: like, so so you're not in, you're not in that house now, a different house no, I still have it but i'm i,
1: I live in a different place now, oh you do but okay. uh what are you doing? But, uh, yeah, what, are you doing? Great... what
0: are you doing with the with the old five hundred square foot grandma house?
1: I re- I'm going to keep it till the day I die, just because it was the first thing I ever did. Uh, it was the first thing I ever did uh, uh, get for myself that way on my own. And uh, i was always really proud that I, I was able to get that little house. You know, and then uh, you know it was the opposite of of a tortilla flats where the guy loses his mind getting the two houses. I was uh, I, I felt really proud, and you know I quit answering my phone after nine o'clock, and I I, I wrote. A book about one of the characters in the Motel Life is this guy named Earl Hurley, and I wrote a novel. He's a used car salesman, and um, and I wrote a novel about him. And he kind of helped me pull back on boozing, and and then I got that under control.
0: So yeah, like what does that mean? Just like no hard stuff, beer only, like because and obviously this is something that's uh, common to the writer, like the writing life or the artistic life, especially music. I mean, if you're out playing in bars, it's kind of they kind of go hand in hand. Um, but is it possible to control it? You know, like is it? I, mean, I guess you can. not I do. I do
1: think the older I get, the more I think it's like playing with a snake. You know, it's like playing with a poisonous snake, and and sometimes it's fine, and sometimes you can get through without getting bit, and then then you get bit. I don't know. I'm I. You know, it's something I think about quite a bit, obviously, and uh, I write about it a lot. I mean, the last couple books haven't been so much about it, but my first two books were really you know about alcoholism and and, uh relationships to booze uh no i mean me you know i'm just getting old too i i have to you know i yeah i'm off the whiskey and i only drink beer and uh and you know that whole bit of you know you know make sure you meet your best but your best drinking buddies i always meet them for breakfast now shit like that so i don't (laughs) get in trouble with them uh um yeah, I do a lot of that. I pick and choose my battles and uh, cuz um I haven't been able to quit fully, but uh I, you know, but I have a lot of ro- rules. It's like gambling. If you're going to be a gambler, you have to have a lot of discipline if you want to keep doing it. And uh and I think drinking if you if you want to keep drinking um you know, uh you got to have a lot of discipline. One night I was in in uh, Galway, Ireland, and I was sitting between these two old men, uh, really nice old guys, drunks, um in a bar and they both they, I think they would forget to zip up when after they peed, or they would they would forget <laughs> to zip down w- w- before they start peeing, and so they they just had pee all all over them and and um, what kind of bar was this? <laughs> this is just the kind of bar I go the kind of bars I go to, and uh, and they're the nicest, really fun, nice Irish guys, and they're falling asleep while they're talking, and um, I don't want to be like that, you know. Yeah. Uh, uh, but I wouldn't mind being a little bit like that, uh, and and still having a conversation at a bar. But um, but again, you know, I mean, it's it's like, like I said, man, it's it's like playing with a grenade sometimes. And you, the older you get, it just depends your relationship to it. I obviously, I mean, I, I'm in love with it, so I, I haven't been able to quit it yet.
0: Well, it's tricky, you know. It's like uh, I mean, I'm pretty. I, my whole thing is like I. I don't think I have an addictive personality thankfully like I think some people just have that hardwiring you know and that that's where it gets I think dicey but uh I just the older I get I can't I can't do the hangover I can't do it like I, I have a kid so that makes it doubly hard but um it's just hard for me to rationalize like the waste of time and like some people I think can power through that but I'm a baby like if I have <laughs> if I have like a even a slight hangover it just ruins me you know
1: I mean yeah with a kid and responsibilities I mean um I mean, hangovers are brutal, and they, like you said, they get brutal, uh, more brutal the older you get. I mean, the the a good friend of mine always says that he was more addicted to hangovers to getting drunk. <laughs> he loved the idea that all you cared about—it's like being sick. All you care about is—is is, you know, I want a TV, I want a couch, I want to eat, and I don't care if it's bad for me, and I don't care if I have to meet so and so here, or do this. I'm not going to do any of it. I just want the couch. I want a TV and I want to eat whatever I want to eat. And you don't think about your bills. You don't think about anything. You just want to, you just want to some relief. You want to sit in a movie theater. Yeah. Air conditioning. Yeah. 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 And, and, and and I agree with that. I love that aspect uh, of it. Uh, Um, the hangover, it's just that, you know, as you get older, if you have more stuff going on and then the day after that is when, you know, as I get older, then my head gets darker and, And, um, and so, yeah, but hangovers, you know, drinking is a, is a game that changes as you play. As you get older, it changes your relationship to it, changes it, your body's relationship to it, changes
0: Well, yeah. And it's like, you know, like with regard to like addiction, it's hard to, it's hard to sometimes define when, when it's a problem or when you're addicted. I mean, like I've gone through periods, I mean, when I was younger in my twenties, and I think this is maybe an aspect of just my personality, but. I'm pretty honest with myself, and i don't want to I didn't want to go down that road so so you know when you're like in your early twenties and you're going out on the weekends and you're getting shit faced and you're waking up with a headache, and then you know this becomes like an every weekend thing, you start to say to yourself like is this you know do I have control of this and uh I think I do just because I know that I can go you know I don't, I'm not really a heavy drinker anymore and um you know but if you if if it is a thing it's progressive. And I have friends, you know, who have gone into sobriety. I have friends who have not, I have friends who I've lost because they, you know, they got really bit by it and it's a progressive thing. So you got, you know, like you say, it's a snake. That's a good metaphor. It's really tricky and you got to be careful because, um, you know, it just, uh, if it doesn't get you sooner, it'll get you later.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think you always got to have respect for it. You know, that's for sure. I mean, yeah, I I did that whole, you know, I was, drunk Friday, Saturday, you know, I'd get drunk on Sunday cause I was so hurting from Saturday night. And then I'd be sick as a dog Monday and Tuesday, but I get through work and then I'd feel good on Wednesday. So I'd get a lot done on Wednesday and then I'd uh, feel so good about myself for getting stuff done on Wednesday. I'd have a few and then Thursday would come around and I'd go, well, I can get you one day. With a serious hangover, and uh, so I'd go out on Thursday, and then Friday's Friday. You always get paid on Friday. And, and, uh, <laughs> just yeah. It was brutal.
0: Yeah, brutal.
1: Really hard thing to adjust and f- figure out. And um, but I, you know, once I learned that you don't have to get drunk every weekend, I realized you have two days off to get stuff done.
0: <laughs> right. And
1: I was I, I I never assumed that you could, that, that Saturday and Sunday you could use those for uh, getting things done or writing or anything like that. Mostly, I just. I'd get up before work, you know, like at five on the days like the see like three days a week I try to get up around five and then drink energy drinks and uh and and write and that's when I got a lot of writing done.
0: Like Red Bull like- dir-
1: Yeah, it was Hanson's energy drink was the one I could stomach at five in the morning. And I don't even think they make that anymore. And uh um and I could do that and then that and then if I could do that and then write um you know, one, you know, one, like maybe Sunday night I would write, and then the rest of the at night I just wrote songs. You know, after work when I was tired, I just watched TV and
0: write songs. Hmm. And then what? How? What are you doing now? Like, what does your life look like now, work-wise? Are you supporting yourself with music and books?
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. the The books have been really nice to me, um, and um, and and the music helps me when we're touring. And um, you know, like the year a record of ours comes out, I do okay. But, uh, but I couldn't make a living uh, living at it. And I don't like gigging. I
0: don't like touring um, like most guys do. Uh, I don't like touring that much. Well, that's um, a, that gets got to get exhausting. I mean, I know it's like if you're doing it in high style and you're on like a jet, fine. But like, you know, the thing in a van, that's probably fun in your 20s. But at some point, and even on a bus, like I, I look at some of these bands that are just like road warriors and they've been doing it for 30 years. And I'm like, I don't know if I, I, I don't think I could do it being on living, basically living my life on a tour bus
1: i think a lot of guys have done it for so many years the guys that seem to do it the best and do it the the longest are guys have done it most of their life it becomes just a, a, a way of life
0: right um they like gypsies
1: i mean me i just can't write you know i i usually have at least one roommate you know i have two snoring guys or one snoring guy and uh you know staying in the equivalent of like motel six kind of places and i mean uh i mean you can't get a lot of writing done there um the, the uh so I, I've never toured a lot just because because um, I like I like writing. Do you like and Do you like I the I have,
0: Is it the book? Do you like the books better than the music? It is one predominant. I love the
1: novel. I've always been in love with the novel. Um, uh, the novel is my favorite thing and uh, the thing I I will uh, I love the most. That's for sure. Uh, but the camaraderie of being in a band uh, um, there's nothing like it. I I personally love sitting in in a van all day and the same guys argue about the Grateful Dead or whatever, you <laughs> know, and, um, and, and all I do is read novels. I just sit in the back and read novels. I don't worry about bills. I don't worry about anything. If if a certain guy in my band's driving, then I don't worry about us getting killed because he's such a great driver, and, uh, and, um, and then I can read and sleep and read and sleep, and uh, I mean, it's, I just go through novel after novel, so... I like it. I like to. I like it's the best family kind of atmosphere I've ever had. And and and, and then you get to play music in a bar and get drunk. I mean, uh, it's pretty fun. Um, that being said, you know, I, I, you know, I can't do it more than two or three months a year, or um, it, it's just not good for me. And I, and I, like I said, I my main goal is I I, I, I want to write a, a really great novel before I die. And um and and yeah, so I have to put in the hours.
0: So how does it work for you? You like work schedule wise when you are writing? Like, are you up in the morning? coffee and and write
1: yeah usually i just get up uh i get up pretty early and um i've always been kind of a workhorse no matter what i i do really uh um so um i just get up and i write until i can't write or i start going crazy out here and then i head into portland and I, and then i write until until it gets dark or whatever and then i go i come home to, you know we have horses here and so i got i have stuff to do but uh
0: but you own you own horses
1: yeah we have two me and my gal have two two horses uh, at our place. Um, yeah, so there's always stuff to do there, but yeah, I usually I, I like writing. I mean I, it's my favorite thing to do, uh, so if 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 life doesn't get in the way, you know I, I always try to do it.
0: Okay, um, so mean, let me just get this point. straight. You wake up in the morning, six o'clock or whatever <laughs> and you, you caffeinate, you start to write until you go crazy at like midday, and then you get in the car, you drive an hour to Portland and then where
1: yeah where this place is is like it's like closer in so it's it's only like a half hour really okay I listen to audiobooks on the way in I fucking got it made man yeah Uh, I listen to audiobooks on the way and then I, I sit in a room that looks over a bar and uh uh and then I just write and it's got a great heater like a free heater that just blares uh blasts me and uh and then I and then I write in there and then I uh have a Drink at the bar that I stare at all day, and then I go home,
0: and that's it. And then you you hang out with your that's horses, season.
1: and and then I try to if I'm if I if I'm feeling anything, then I'll edit late at night, and then I just do it over and over.
0: So, what does your family think of this? I mean, did, like, your your mother proud of your work? Your father does he read your books?
1: My dad uh, passed away. You know, uh you know, I think he'd heard a couple of my records. Uh, Early records, but uh, you know he liked books, so I, I think he would have been happy about it. But uh, he never read any of them because they weren't out yet. And my mom was not; a, she wasn't a fan of the arts. So uh, I don't know. Uh, I think my first two books, maybe my third book was out. I don't know. Uh, when she passed away, I, I think it's almost out. Uh, um, but I, I don't, I don't know if she read my novels. I don't know.
0: Well, she was not a fan of the arts. You said.
1: Maybe. <laughs> She wasn't a fan of no no, I mean she wasn't she wasn't mean to me writing novels no and uh and being in a band that's that's for sure like i said i don't I don't think she she read the novels i I don't know for sure,
0: huh. what did she want you to do
1: she worked for the post office, you know uh she just was embarrassed she was embarrassed that I was in a band and wrote stories, she was scared I was going to write bad stuff about us as a family uh she was been i guess um I mean, part of it was she just wanted me to have a stable life, but right. but I think she embarrassed. You know, I think she's embarrassed. Uh, you know, and I, you know it kind of changed with my band when uh, my band started doing better, and um, and you know she'd meet somebody in the grocery store that'd be nice to her because because of, of, cause of my band. Uh, they'd say something you know nice about my band. Um, uh, and so she 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 liked the band more at that, but I think the novels were just too, would have been too much for her.
0: Yeah, well, that's a tricky thing, you know, when you're writing because you're inevitably going to be drawing on your own experience. And I think the it's either explicit or it's implicit. Um, you know that the people closest to you in your life will wind up in your books. And even if you're writing something that's really far afield, it seems like people closest to you in your life are likely to see themselves in it. I mean right
1: yeah i don't know you know yeah you're right uh i i totally agree with that i mean i i specifically didn't write about anything regarding her at all i never you know like i said man she worked her ass off for me for 30 years you know she just we lived you know i came home from the hospital to the same house that you know i lived in until i left uh and it was very stable on that front anyway and um uh but I never had any intention of writing about her. I wouldn't be talking about her or if if she was alive. Um, I never do I talk about people really close to me. And um, if, but since they both passed away, you know, I don't I don't feel that way anymore. And so, uh, you know, I I never would have written about her or said anything bad about her. But I mean, I think she was she was worried that I was going to. I guess. I so don't
0: know. are you going to write your? So I take it you're never going to write a memoir.
1: No. I mean, sometimes I write, you know, you know, songs that are more autobiographical. I guess.
0: I mean, I wrote a song
1: about her called "The Boyfriends," well, after she passed away. That was pretty it says it all to me, um, in, a, in a short song. But no, I mean, I have no interest in, in writing memoir. The way I look at it is, if I want to beat up, so if I want to beat up a, uh, you know, a, a cousin or a, you know, an uncle or a, my brother, or mother, father, any of them. I can always change the woman into a sixty-five-year-old truck driver. <laughs> exactly. thing. And if I can't bullshit like that, then then I have no no. I have no right to be, you know, telling stories if I can't if I can't, you know, crucify somebody and have them read it and not know. Right. Um, so uh, you know, it's never been my my goal has always been to, to to you know to write really what I hoped were honest stories written with blood about. Like, the people I grew up with and I'm around, like, working-class stories, that's always my goal. My goal has never been to hurt anybody close to me. I mean, life's too short and too hard for, for some jackass to, to write a mean story about you. I, I mean, I, I don't that's, – that's not the way I, I do things.
0: So, okay. And so uh, what about the actual um, transition from, uh, like, Apprentice or, you know, privately writing these stories to getting published? Because – uh, you know that's a long that's a lot of years. you stacked up a lot of pages and like how did you get yourself into print
1: i mean that this is the luckiest story ever really i by then my band was doing good for whatever reason we were we we started doing better in um in in the u k um they, they we had a record called post a wire and my band rich and Fontaine and for whatever reason. Journalists over there liked it, and people liked it over there, and we started touring it, and then, and the tours were going really well. It was it was great. It was one of the luckier breaks that's ever happened to me, and I, I became friends with this this journalist who interviewed me, and he's a a, a writer, and I you know I, I barely knew any writers, um and so and he's crazy, really fun writer named Stav Chavez, and um wait what's his name? Man, Stav. Cherez and he's a, a really great crime writer in the UK and he's really wild and he's got you know like a photographic memory for music and noir he's one of the only guys I ever met that like Jim Thompson and Charles Wilford and David Goodis all these noir guys I was really a huge fan of anyway he and I became friends and, and he brought his agent to, uh, to one of my gigs and um, you know I think she'd had a couple drinks or oh, she's just so she's so damn nice that she she goes. Uh, I hear you write novels, and uh, staff said that you write novels, and I said yeah. And she said, well, why don't you send me one? And um and and then I, you know, that's when I was doing a little better, and my confidence was higher. So, the the one that I when I got home, the one I um, had that was you know dialed in the most, and had the illustrations, and it was all good to go. Was the motel life, and and uh, so I sent it to her, and you know, Jesus, she sold it in a couple of weeks, and. Um, it was really exci- It was really, really fun and exciting and easy. The opposite of being in a band. It was, it was just really fun. And then I just spent the next couple of years calling her every month or so, asking if she thought the publisher was going to go broke because I was so worried that they would go broke before the book came out because um, <laughs> I just had no idea about such things, you know.
0: And then the uh, the book got made into a movie, or?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. The book came out and and uh, you know came out in the U.S. and the U.K. and. A handful of different countries, and uh, it was really fun. And I got to, you know, travel around, and and then the book got optioned, and uh, um, and made it into a movie, and uh, yeah, it was fun. It was just, a, it was all really, really fun. I mean, the, the best part of it, of it was when I got the galley, and I could hold it in my hands. And then the worst part of it's always when it first comes out, and you're wondering if people are going to hate it, and and it's a risk, you know, it's a risk to take the thing you love doing the most and then put in in front of people. I always equate it to, like, to, it's like you're dropping a you know, a kid from, you know, like Elko, Nevada, a small town in Nevada, and you drop them off in, like, downtown Detroit with, you know, no coat and <laughs> two bucks. And you're saying, good luck, man. Uh, have fun out there and, and, you know, hope you don't get shot too many times. Right. And, um, and that's the way I look at books. Uh, when you when you put them, put them out, you know, they're your best pals, and you put them out, and then they're not your pals anymore, they're out there on their own. And I mean they're your pals but but you can't protect them. You, that's a hard thing. I, you, I I like them so much. I never I, I I you know. Now I now I I love you know putting a book out and moving on to the next one, but it is there's something more satisfying in a way when when you don't show it to anybody. And it's just your thing and and no one can pick on it or you know beat it up or like point out all the its fail, failings.
0: Do you read reviews?
1: No, I mean I'll read. I'll read a couple. I'll I'll see which way it's gonna go, and then and then I don't.
0: Even if, I even it, if it, sure. even if it's going really well.
1: <laughs> no, because what happens if it goes really well? There'll be one that doesn't. They'll just throw you on the side. And a and guy told me once. He he said, uh, you know, reviews make you feel good in a way that's not real, and they make you feel bad in a way that's not real. They both hurt, and one hurts really bad. and One makes you feel good in a way that's not really. It's, it's not a true thing and so uh so it's best to stay away and William Kennedy has a great quote he just he used to say look they're gonna try to kill you with sledgehammers one day and then you know buy you a palm tree and roses the next day and it's your job to not think about any of that stuff and just just write your stories and oh. uh, so I tried to do that the, the most I can
0: well uh I think you're doing a good job and I, uh, I thank you for taking the time to talk with me. It's been really interesting uh, hearing from you. I'm glad we got to shine a light on this book in the TMB Book Club. And I, uh, I wish you all the best of luck, both with uh, you know your future writing projects and also with your music.
1: Hey, thanks a lot for having me.
0: All right, folks, there you go. That is Willie Lawton. Go get his novel. It's called The Free, and it is available now from Harper Perennial. You can find Willie online on the Facebook. You can also check out Richmond Fontaine, his band, which you're hearing right now, uh, their website is richmondfontaine.com. And if you want to sign up for the TNB Book Club, the Nervous Breakdown Book Club, you can do that over at the thenervousbreakdown.com. Thanks, as always, to Kill Rockstars for the uh, theme song music today. And, uh, by the way, that is the band Stereo Total playing on the uh, theme song. Go check them out. The song is called L-A-C-A-U-S-A. Uh, so check out Stereo Total. Check out Kill Rockstars at Kill Rockstars. It's a great label. And hey, uh, don't forget about the app, the free official other people app. Go get that. It's available now for your iPhone, iPad, iPod touch or Android device. It's the very best way to listen to this podcast. New episodes automatically upload to the app. You don't have to do anything. Every time a new show goes live, it appears right there on your device automatically. Uh, You can also download episodes to listen to while you're offline. And best of all, you can access premium content and the full archives all via the app. So quickly, here's how it works. You get the app. The app is free. You then have access to the most recent 50 episodes of this program free of charge. doesn't cost you anything. Uh, and then from there, you can listen to the other 200-and-something episodes by signing up for premium. It's only 2 bucks a month, just $2. Uh, It's hopefully a no brainer And for that small price you get access to everything Every single episode of this program Including conversations with uh, Authors like George Saunders, Cheryl Strayed Blake Butler, Sam Lipsight, Susan Orlean Tao Lin, Sam Pink, Roxane Gay The list goes on Okay so please go get the app The app once again is free And then uh, from there please sign up for premium For two bucks a month and support this show Uh, I would appreciate that All right. so uh, that was fun talking to Willie. What a good guy. Uh, seems like a big hearted guy. Hope you enjoyed that. If you want to send me some email, uh, let me know your thoughts on the program or on other things. Just uh, if you would like to let me know that I've hit a new all time low, <laughs> please do that. The, the address is letters at otherpeoplepod.com. Or leave me a voicemail. Whatever. Uh, I think that's it. I think I've covered everything. Have I covered everything? Please remember that John Steinbeck died of a heart condition exacerbated by acute emphysema, and that Anthony Trollope wrote seven pages a day, seven days a week. That's it for now. Thanks again to Willie. Willie Vlaughton. Go get his novel. Thanks to Harper Perennial. What a terrific imprint. I'll be back again on Wednesday with another conversation with another literary-type individual, okay? I'm going to go try to make some friends. Why, is that, why does that seem so hard? Is it hard to make friends these days? Like real, real close friends? As you become an adult Am I making this too complicated? What's the old saying? Be a friend, make a friend <laughs> I feel like adults always make shit complicated That's what I do anyway I'm gonna go ask my daughter How to make friends She's three years old Hopefully she can help me work this out.